So um, it, here's, here's the game plan for tonight. I want to just do a quick reminder on who we are and what we are as a church family here. And then I want to give um, a couple of explanations for one component of that and try to make sense of the corporate dynamic of one of those. And so that's, that's the game plan. Um, so with that said, let me read this passage and let it be a reminder uh, of the place of gospel, community, and mission in our church family. And so um, let me read it for you. This is 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. If you were at Frank Sill about a month ago or so, um, we kind of walked through this passage, something very similar to what I'm trying to remind us of again um, tonight. And so um, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. And once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Okay, I just want to remind you of these three components one more time out of this text. So one is to say this, that we as Stonegate Church are a gospel-centered people. So the implication of that, or what that means, is that we believe that the gospel is the start and it's, it's, it's kind of the sustaining factor in the Christian life, right? Does that make sense? So it's both foundation and motivation. It's both of those two things. It's, it's your way into the kingdom, and the gospel is also the way you make all progress in it. Okay, this is what it means to be a gospel-centered people, that we as a church are a gospel-soaked, gospel-saturated, a gospel-centered, like centered on the gospel. Everything we do, everything we say, we're trying to make sure we're seeing that through the lens of the gospel. When we read the Bible, it's not just us reading stories. We are reading a narrative of all that God has done for us through Jesus. Okay, this is what it means to be gospel-centered. Okay, let me read you Joe Thorne. I read this at Frank Sill. I want to read this to you one more time, though. Joe Thorne's um, answer to the question, what does it mean to be gospel-centered? Here's um, his explanation. He's in the same kind of family of churches that we're in. He said to be gospel-centered, and by the way, you don't have to take any notes. You can if you want. All this stuff is going to be posted online. So however you want to roll with it, it's good with me. So don't feel like you have to be writing stuff down, but... Um, so his, his answer to that question, what does it mean to be gospel-centered? He said this, to be gospel-centered means that the gospel, and, and namely Jesus himself, all that God has accomplished for us in Jesus, that the gospel is our, and I love these descriptions, our greatest hope and boast, our deepest longing and joy, and our most passionate song and message. It means that the gospel is what defines us as Christians, unites us as brothers and sisters, changes us as sinners and saints, and sends us as God's people on God's mission. When we are gospel-centered, the gospel is exalted above every other good thing in our lives and triumphs over every bad thing set against it. So it's our hope and our boast, deepest longing, greatest joy. This is, this is the place of the gospel in our life. And so periodically, I'll have people ask me a question that goes something like this. So, okay, Stonegate Church, that's where you go. That's, that's where you're doing this thing. And um, so what, what, tell me something about Stonegate. What, what, what is Stonegate? How does it work? What are you doing there? And I always boil it down to this. This is my hope for our place, that we would have people that are dripping with the good news of Jesus. That we'd have people that, that are consumed by that. That their heart has been totally saturated by that good news. And then, now catch this, and they're seeing how that good news applies to every situation in their life. So when they have a marital problem, that they're asking the question, how is Jesus and all that he has accomplished for us good news in that moment? And so we could go down the list there. When you lose your job, when you name it. 
How is Jesus good news in that moment? This is what it means to be gospel-centered. That we have a lens for life, and that lens is colored by all that God has done for us in Jesus. Now, all of these promises that he makes to us because of the cross. Okay, so we're gospel-centered people. Now, secondly, these are the implications of that reality. We're gospel-centered people living in community. Okay, now, now notice this passage. And by the way, you've got gospel in this passage. It says that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. That is only true because Jesus has died in your place on the cross, right? Okay, so that's gospel. We're gospel-centered people, but we're also living in community. So every one of those words are plural, not singular. You're not a priest. You're a holy priesthood, right? You're not a chosen person. You're a chosen race, a chosen people. So when God saves us, he instantly adopts us into his family. We've got brothers and sisters now. So when you you look across this room, you have been called by God, if this is your church home, to live in community within this group of people. So that would mean, that, and we talk about this all the time, that that transparency is deepening, that authenticity is deepening around here, that you're actually 100% known by people here. Not everyone here, but there's a group of people, probably your home group, that you would be 100% known. Like they know every little crack and crevice about you. And we say this all the time, that to be 99% known and 1% unknown is to be unknown. So living in community means that, that people know us, 100% known. So na- and that primarily comes, you linking your life and hitching your wagon to the context of a home group. So we're people, gospel-centered people, living in community, and here's the third piece of that, and living on the mission of God. Right, so all three of those, you see it in this text, that you've got th- these plural names to describe us now as Christians. So the gospel has made us this, these people, and we're living in community, plural, and to do what? You see it in verse um, 10 there, or 9. That you may proclaim the excellencies of, of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Right? So now we've got a mission to live on. So maybe you could think of it this way. The gospel gives you a family first, and it gives that family a mission to live on. The gospel does both of those two things for you. Gives you a church family to live with and a mission for that family to be on. Okay, now in light of that, I want to just walk through this really quickly on the side that there's a personal component of that and a corporate component of mission, right? And so on the personal component, it would go this, like this, that you have been personally called by God to live on God's mission. That's you personally. And so we're never going to let you off that hook. When we think mission, the primary way that works itself out in our church family, primary, number one strategy at Stonegate Church to get mission going is you personally. That God has called you personally to be a missionary in your neighborhood, in your workplace, whatever your circle of influence is. That could be you coaching T-ball, whatever your kind of circle is that you're running in, that God has sovereignly and in his providence placed you there as a missionary. Okay, so that's a personal component. So we ask those four questions all the time. Um, are you praying for people that don't know Jesus? Are you inviting them into your life across the dinner table? They know your kids, you know their kids. You're inter- intertwining your lives with people who don't know Jesus. You're actually having gospel conversations with them, right? And we're actually seeing God use our life and lips for the salvation of other people. That's the personal component. So let me, let, and I just, I want to make this just as clear as possible. If Stonegate is going to see people saved here, if we're going to see God do that miracle called salvation in our church and amongst us, that is going to come through your life and lips. So if you're dissatisfied with that, I'm dissatisfied with that right now for us, by the way. If you're dissatisfied with that, here's what you need to first do. You need to take your own missional pulse and ask the question, am I praying for people who don't know Jesus? Am I inviting them into my life? 
Are we having gospel conversations? And is God using my life and my lips for the salvation of other people? If, if your answer is no to that, our answer is going to be no. If your answer is yes to that, our corporate answer is going to be yes to that. So we'll never let you off the hook for that. This is a personal thing on your life. This isn't just for like an elite group or a specialized group. God's actually called you to live in, in that sort of a way as a missionary. Okay, we good there? There's a personal component of mission. So when we say that, that God has called us to, to be on mission with him as a church family, part one of that is personal. And now part two of that is corporate. Now I want to walk through this corporate kind of component of this tonight. Okay, so the corporate component, here's what every church has to make this decision. We all agree that God has, has commanded us, Matthew, right, to, to carry out this great commission. So we're, we all agree that God has said, you need to be disciple makers in all the nations. Now, the, the question is, how are churches going to carry that out? And I think there's two broad approaches that churches take to this. The first broad approach, we'll just call it the shotgun approach. Okay, now, you know, if you've got a shotgun and I shot it at the back wall, there's going to be a lot of dust. There's going to be a, a big bang, a lot of noise, but I'm probably not, I, I don't, from this distance, I'm probably not going to knock a hole through that wall, right? And so a shotgun's going to have a lot of BBs out in the air, but, but especially the far, further you get distance wise, the less impact those BBs make. Okay, so this is, this would describe a lot of churches. So they're going to say that we know that we've got a corporate responsibility as a church to say, this is how we corporately, the corporate component as a church family, this is how we're going to try to move the mission forward. And their approach is, whatever kind of comes our way, we'll, we'll just jump at it. So if Bruce has got one thing he wants to do, we've got another thing over here. We've got 99 things spread out across the room. We'll just divide our resources appropriately between those 99 different causes. And we'll just send BBs flying as fast as we can and just see what happens. Okay, that's the shotgun approach. Okay, the other approach would be to say, let's grab a rifle and let's shoot like three rounds out of that and actually punch a hole through the wall and actually get the ball moving down the road and actually cause some damage or hopefully in this case, good somewhere down the road. Right. And so this would be the other approach where we're going to say this. We're, we know we know there's a million good things we could do, but there's only so many things we can do well. And there's only th so many things we can do and actually make a lasting and an eternal difference for the long haul there. Okay, so th this is our approach. We're saying that we know that, that, that we can't do everything. We don't want to be a shotgun and like have a big bang, a loud noise, and then look up in 10 years and have no lasting fruit. We want to have some rifle shots that actually punch through the wall and do a lot of good on the other end of that wall. That makes sense? Okay, so I want to try to walk through three of those different components for us and how they relate to mission. Okay, so here's part one of that. Part one of that, component one, corporate component of mission, is church planting. So I just want, I want you to see how this plays in to the long-term kind of thing here at Stonegate. So, so part one of this is church planting. Now, we're not in the church planting because it's kind of our hobby horse. That's not the deal. We're in the church planting because we really think it's actually God's hobby horse. Okay, so I'll just give you an illustration of just one way. And we could talk a lot about just the biblical theological underpinnings of this. Um, but I want to just give you a quick one tonight. That if you go to Acts 1, here's what you've got in Acts 1.8. You've got the disciples in the room, and uh, Jesus comes and he says, I'm going to make you um, my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, um, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, right? So you've got this call of God, kind of this great commission. I'm going to send you as witnesses. And then you remember what happens in Acts chapter 2? You've got Peter, he preaches at Pentecost, a ton of people get saved, and they're naturally engrafted into a church. 
So you've got chapter one. Here's your call of mission. Chapter two. Here's the mission carried out. You get converts and then you get them into church plants. So if you think about the mission of God, there is a deep tie into church planting. It's not just about getting converts. It's about actually um, having converts assembled into new churches. So if you're a missionary, it's not enough to say we want to make converts out of this new culture that doesn't have Jesus. It's only enough. And and you're just there when you start thinking like this. We want to see converts made, but ultimately we want to make sure we're planting churches, raising up indigenous, indigenous leaders that can actually assemble and disciple and equip converts that are made in that new culture. That makes sense. So, so the goal is it's, it's commission and church planting as the end goal of that. And so we feel like that's why we're for it. It's because God is really for this church planting thing. Even in cultures like ours that have a lot of churches, it's a really good, anytime there is a growing population or a changing population, church planting is always needed. Okay, so I'm going to stop there on just that piece of it and want to just give you a, a glimpse of when we look 10 years down the road, what it is that we see. And so, and this is an evolving thing in us, but this is what we're starting to gain some clarity on as far as what we see looking down the road. In 10 years, we can see a moment where we have been a part of planting 50 churches over a 10-year period. Okay, so 50 churches, that's a lot of churches. Churches don't just like spontaneously combust and there they are. That's not how they come into existence. It's a lot of work training and equipping and investing your life into people and then actually helping fund them to actually be able to plant a church. So there's a lot into church planting. Okay, now in 50 churches, there will be some of those churches that exist with us on a more shallow level and others that are on a deeper level with us. Now I'll give you an illustration of this. Over the last two and a half years, we've been a part of planting three churches over the last two and a half years. And all of those, we've introduced every one of those people to you, but chances are you could not tell me one of them right now. You probably couldn't tell me any of their names. And we've introduced them on Sunday morning. We've let them tell their story. We've done all that. But, but you can see that it's a shallow connection, right? Because our church family doesn't know them very well. And so um, we've been a part of Helping Three, Christ Community Church in Denton, a church called The Paradox in downtown Fort Worth. It's just doing great. And uh, a very new plant in uh, Frisco called Mercy Church. And so, and we're heavily invested. We're, we're invested in coaching. We, we provide a lot of time with our staff to help these guys and funding that we're, we're committed to all these guys. This year, we're going to spend in the neighborhood of seventy to $75,000 helping fund church planting this year. And so we're, we're deeply invested into that. So our money is where our mouth is as a church family and saying, we want to be of help to you. Okay, now on the other side of this, that's shallow connections. Deep connections would be more like what KC is here. We brought him in for a year, year and a half period. We're helping equip, train, do everything we can to set him up to win. And then when we send him, we've got a big financial commitment on the back end of that as we send him out. Probably in the neighborhood of somewhere between hundred and $150,000, depending on the context. That we're saying as a church family, we're in and we're behind you in this. So we see a huge amount of those playing out like that, where we've got people very deeply connected into our church family that we have vested interest in, that we are fully behind, that we are sending out. So we've got those shallow connections and we've got those deeper connections. And we want both of those two things to be present here. Okay, now over those, over that 10 years, 50 churches, we feel like, and this is a price tag on that. And by the way, it's expensive to plant churches. It's expensive to do anything in ministry like this. And so I feel like that's going to be somewhere in the $5 million range as far as a price tag for, for that to happen. So that's a, that's a steep price. Okay, now I want to balance that though with this. Can you see a moment 10, 15 years down the road 
where we as a church family get to celebrate 50 churches across the DFW area, across our state and our nation, even around the world that we've been a part of planting. We've had our hand deeply invested into these people and planted them. And let's just say that all of those 50 churches, there was just an average of, let's say, 400 people in there that we would have played a part in providing a gospel-loving, Jesus-loving church for roughly 20,000 people over that 10-year period, right? And so I would look at that and say, that is worth the price tag. So we want to be heavily invested on the side of church planting, helping churches just like ours get up and off the ground and doing everything we can to set them up to win. Okay, that's church planting. So that's one component of corporate mission for us that we're going to be deeply vested in over the next 10, really for the rest of our church's life. Okay, here, here's another piece of that. So one piece of that is church planting. Second corporate kind of component of mission is orphan care and adoption. Okay, now I want to do the same thing and just underpinning that with some theological convictions. This isn't just a hobby horse we have. We really feel like this is a hobby horse that God has. Okay, so in that, um, th- this would be my re- some of my reasoning for that. Um, when you think gospel imagery in the Bible, the premier two metaphors for the gospel in the scriptures, number one, the biggest metaphor is marriage. The second biggest metaphor is adoption of a way to model and highlight in a physical sense what God does spiritually for. So if you can picture a scene, and I think it's always helpful to put this in your context. So if you could picture your kid being in a situation where you as parents have died and there is no family and they find themselves in an orphanage, or if they're in America, they would find themselves in a foster system. If you could picture your kid like that, and, and can I just say that it goes, if, if in America, if people age out of the foster system, typically that leads to really bad things. Now, I'll go over just a couple of statistics with that, but that's typically a very, very rough road. And so you've got this, this whole issue of picturing your kid in that, right? That, that is a terrible situation. Let's just say it's somewhere across the seas here, and you're in, a, in an international country like Russia or the Ukraine. So you just picture that scenario of them being in an orphanage and the fate that, that is coming for them. It's a terrible situation for a kid to be in. And, and all of a sudden, a family comes to them, a mom and dad comes to them and says, I am claiming you as mine. I'm rescuing you from this situation. I'm delivering you from this. You're going to be a part of our family. Now you've got brothers and sisters. Now you've got a mom and a dad. Now you are not an orphan. You are a son or a daughter of mine. Can I picture that scene if it's your kid? And now the same thing happened to you spiritually when you became a Christian. That in a, in a very real sense, you were an orphan. In a terrible situation, your fate was really, really bad. And all of a sudden, God the Father stepped in and said, I'm going to rescue you out of a horrendous situation. Something that you could never get yourself out of. I'm going to claim you as my own. I'm going to give you a family to live in. And I'm going to be your dad for you. And you're going to be my son or daughter. You're no longer an orphan, right? And so that same theological underpinning in the gospel is, is what you see represented in a physical sense when you see adoptions take place. Okay, now in light of that, um, and by the way, this is why Ephesians 1.5 says that God predestined you for adoption. Huge, rich, biblical metaphor. This is why James 1 says true religion is what? Orphans and widows. You remember that passage in James 1? So this is a big deal to God, right? And it's a big deal. And kind of the second thing, it's not only a premier gospel um, metaphor, but it's also a huge part of mission. Now think about if, if you adopted a baby, unless you, I'm just throwing out a random country, it's Ukraine. You adopt one out of the Ukraine. Chances are they're not going to be a Christian. And can I just tell you that that physical adoption, you get them underneath gospel-soaked parents, is often the precursor for spiritual adoption. 
So you can see how mission takes place here too. Chances are, if you get a kid out of the foster system, they're probably not going to be a Christian. And adoption there, on a physical sense, is often the precursor for a spiritual adoption later on. So you see a huge component of mission play out here. Okay, now in light of that, let me just give you a 10-year kind of view of what we could be seeing here. Um, I, I can see 10 years down the road, us having 100 families adopt out of our church. This is what we're praying for, is that we'll have 100 families adopt. So that we'll see the precursor physical adoption to what we hope will be the ultimate aim here of of spiritual adoption down the road. We'll have 100 families so moved by the gospel and what God has done for them, burdened by the orphan care and adoption issue, that they will rewrite the script to their life. Now, do you know that's gonna, what that's going to require? It's gonna re, it's like most of us right now, when we take orphan care and adoption, we don't have that written into our script. We've got our family. It's kind of nice and tidy. Our script does not include the mess of adoption and, and foster care. It doesn't include that. It's going to require a complete rewriting of the script for so many of our lives. Complete rewriting of it. A dying to a lot of our temporal comfort and a lot of the plans that we have made for our life. And so we have, we, have, we have this view of people being so moved by the gospel, burdened by this issue, that they will actually move toward adopting, hundreds of our families, adopting children. But it's not just adoption. It also would cover the fostering issue in, in America. If you think about the orphan issue in America, we don't have orphanages per se as much as we have the foster system that kind of is the big arms around this issue here. Okay, now in light of that, we want to make sure we are reversing the system as it currently stands. Like, I think if you go to most um, fostering places, like I, I just met up with a guy today who said this to me. We just got a call today, um, 11-year-old girl, they're waiting for a family to, to step in to foster. Terrible situation, they're waiting for a family to come in. We want to reverse that where agencies are not waiting for families to step in. Agencies are waiting for kids to connect to families. Like, we want to make that switch in our area. We can't do that everywhere, but I think we can do that in our local area. I think we can totally make the switch where we've got plenty of families in the game of foster care where all they have to do is call and they can know, they can call our church and they can instantly find families to to fill that need, right? So that, that, that thing is switched. No longer waiting for families, but families are waiting on kids to come into their family. Make sense? So this is what we see. Those two things playing out between adoption, 100 families, fostering has become a huge thing. Like I can see a day where we would look up and we would see a huge multicultural kind of display of kids in our place from all different races that we have, we've come here that are the fruit of orphan care and adoption. I totally see that. And I, like it almost makes me cry when I just think about that. I get part emotional just thinking about that moment for our church family. Okay, now, and it's going to require from everyone. Let's say you're not the adoption person. You're not the fostering person. It's going to require from everyone in the room a deep sense of our church family has been called to this. So that means I have to play my part. If it's not adoption, if it's not fostering, I'm going to have to play my part in helping this process, right? Okay, now with that, um, that doesn't just happen. We don't just look up in 10 years and that we're, we've got 100 families adopted. It doesn't happen that way. So there's a lot of small steps. I want to just break down the next 10, year in just a couple, 10 years in a couple of steps um, that we know are going to have to happen around here. So first part of this, 10 years and some steps, is one is exposure. That we've got to do a good job of keeping this issue in front of you and educating our church family on the perils of fostering and the foster system and adoption. Right? So we've got to make sure we're all very educated on that issue and the, and the gospel implications of these issues. So I think it would be really important for you to know that like stuff like this, that when kids age out of the foster system, 
right? So we're going to compare general population to kids aging out of the foster system. And let's just say um, it's a two to four year college degree that we're comparing across those two things. In the general population, 31% of people have a two to four year college education. Foster system, you age out of that, 3%. Take violent crime, being convicted of violent crime. You age out of the foster system compared to the general public. General population, 6% convicted of a violent crime, 42% when you age out of the foster system. Now, what's interesting is if you um, adopt a kid before he's 16 in the foster system, and let's just take the college education thing, they naturally reassimilate into the, the general population, 31%. Right? And so it, it's just going to be very important for us to make sure we're aware on a church level how we can be a part of helping in this whole thing that we've got set before us, in this orphan care and adoption thing. In the, in the, uh, in the fostering system in America, I think there's roughly a quarter of a million kids, that's 250,000 kids, ready to be adopted like today. All you have to do is say, I'm in. 250,000. If every other church in America, roughly, every other church had one family adopt a kid in the foster system, that problem is eliminated tomorrow. Isn't that something? And so I, I think we've got a role to play in that. I think we can play a big, significant role along the way in, in helping reverse this issue. Adoption care, orphan. Um, or adoption and orphan care. Okay, so step one is exposure. Step two is experience. That we have to do things to help get you acclimated to orphan care and adoption issues. We have to do things to help get your hands dirty in this. So I want to walk through three of those real quick, just so you'll have a, a framework for thinking about these. First, um, we are going to get deeply vested into the Matamoros Children's Home. Um, it's right across the border um, of Mexico. And we just had actually a crew go down um, in January and spent a few days um, documenting some things. We're going to be showing you some things over the next few months on that. Um, we have one of our guys, Chris Jones, that's Kevin's dad, that's been heavily invested for like 20 years. He's been on the board of this place. And so we've got a great um, relationship with the people there, great trust that has been established. And so we feel like this is one way we can get you interacting with orphans in a way that helps stir this whole thing up in you. For you to be around and see this issue where your hands tangibly in the dirt in this thing. And so, now, and I want to be clear, this, they're not a place we're going to be adopting from. They are a place that we are praying that God would use in our church family to stir up a desire for this as we serve and come along beside them as they care for orphans and very underprivileged people in Mexico. So, Matamore Children's Home, it'll be a place that we're going to be taking mission trips. And uh, as the border gets more secure, we hope that it will be a family thing, that you can take your whole family down, spend a week with us down there as we do construction, and we minister to... Um, and get to know the guys that they're caring for. And so, and like I said, we just had a crew go down in January. They, they felt very safe. I, like, I think I'm to the point of saying, if a husband and wife want to go down, I think it's a great thing. I think you'd enjoy it, and I think you'd feel very safe doing it. And so, um, Mattismore's Children's Home is one of the places that we're going to be heavily invested. Okay, a second place in this issue, um, on the experience level, that we're trying to make sure that we're, or we're praying that God would use to stir up this issue in us, is Compassion International. I don't know how familiar you, familiar you are with Compassion. Um, back in January, I got the chance and the opportunity to go over to Kenya on a Compassion trip. They took about nine or, 10, or 13 pastors over, I think is what it ended up being. 13 pastors over to try to expose us to what they're doing. I went very skeptical. I'm the guy that's like, dude, I don't buy any of this. And uh, I came back completely blown away. And so the thing I love most about them is um, they are working through the local church in that area to minister to people in horrendous situations. When I say horrendous, I'm like horrendous with a capital H, bad. 
Like we're working in the biggest slum in Africa, in Nairobi. And uh, if you can just imagine a scene where, where it is complete chaos. It is the strong eat the weak. There's no such thing as police. You don't call 911. You don't call the police if you see something going. You don't have any of that. And can you imagine being a four-year-old girl in that setting? Can you just imagine? And so you've got people, a good living would be cents a day. And so you've got Compassion, who comes into that situation, works through the local church, and uh, they offer hope into that environment. And and just seeing a, a week's worth of Kenya, I would say this. I think they legitimately do a great job of offering hope, of like, and specifically the hope of the gospel in these moments. It's incredible. Okay, so with that, um, I think there's two big benefits for this. One is um, the fact that for $38 a month, you personally get to weave the life of your family into the life of an underprivileged child somewhere in the world. So you personally, your family, so think of it this way. You get a packet, you get a picture, you're writing letters back and forth. You've got communication going. You've got all of that stuff happening where you have woven your life together. They would view you, compassion kids would view you as their compassion parents. Like they would call you when they see you, they will call you mom and dad in a very tangible sense. Okay, so you get the chance to interweave your family like that. And as a church, we also get the privilege of being able to play a part in the global kind of cause of adoption, orphan care, and church planting. So let me kind of explain how this would work out. When we do Compassion, we're going to do it all in one area through one Compassion Project, one church. So that means we would have kids in all the same area of the world, all the same project. So now we can take trips down and you can actually get to meet your Compassion kids that you're sponsoring. And so one of the sweetest things I got to see in Kenya was four of the pastors that were sponsoring kids in Kenya. And we got the moment of sponsor kid, sponsor parent coming together, and they got to spend a day together at kind of an amusement park. And it was such a beautiful scene to get to watch that whole thing play itself out. So you'll have the opportunity to do that, of actually getting to meet the kid that you've been sponsoring, the kid that you've been riding back and forth to. You'll get that opportunity, and we'll also get the opportunity as a church. We're going to make sure that the church that we're helping, like that project, that church, is also a church that wants to plant churches. So we'll also get a chance to leverage our resources here for the cause of global church planting through that church. So it kind of kills like or knocks down a couple of birds in one stone here. And so we're really excited about this. I think it's going to be a great opportunity for you and a great opportunity for our church. And I think it could be a really good moment for you to start the process of figuring out what does it look like for you to intertwine the life of your family and the life of another person together. Like, what does that look like? So I'm excited for that. Okay, now with that, um, price tag on orphan care and adoption. We could see over the next 10 years that being somewhere between a million and $2 million when it's all said and done. So we're going to have to try to figure out ways for people who want to adopt to help eliminate as many of those barriers as possible. So that's probably going to be offering in some ways grants for people. That's going to be in some ways offering interest-free loans. We're going to have to figure out a system to help knock down the barriers for people who um, are, are in the game of adoption orphan care, fostering. So we're going to be heavily vested into that world of things. Okay, and last thing, number three. And this is where, wow, it's 7.30. Here we go. Okay, so last thing, and this is the big thing for tonight. Uh, and, we, and it's, yeah, um, okay, so we got to go fast. So corporate mission number three. So when we think on a corporate level how mission works itself out, this is primary thing tonight. We need to get out to y'all. Um, there is a, a corporate component of mission that would deal with land and facilities. This is a corporate piece of mission. Okay, now in that, I want to make sure, and I've spent a ton of time framing this tonight. 
So I want you to see a couple of things in this. Number one, I want you to see that when we talk money at Stonegate, that we refuse to be self-centered in the way we spend money. So that one of the reasons I wanted to present all three of these things side by side is so you see that when we think long term, we're spending a ton of money, more money than we're going to spend internally. We're going to spend more of that on church planting, orphan care and adoption. So I want you just to see that and have this whole thing prefaced with we refuse to be a self-centered people. Okay, so that's number one. Second thing is I want you to see this in the context of mission. That I think there is a way that buildings fit into a missional component for us. That doesn't get the corporate component off of anyone in the room. Primarily, you, me, we're called to be missionaries in our neighborhood. Get the gospel on our life and lips in our neighborhood, in our workplaces, circle of influence. That's primary. But there is a place for a building to play in the missional component, I think, in our culture. Okay, now I'll just do a brief, this is a one-minute version of the how and why of that. Um, We go like this. There's going to be a day when... In Midlothian, we are going to run out of rented options. There's going to be a day the conference center or a school or anywhere else is going to look at us and say, you can no longer rent this place. You're going to have to have a a different home. So regardless of what we do here, there's no existing facility that we can rent for the long haul that is going to work out for us long term. So here's what that forces us into. There will be a day when we're homeless. And in that moment, like as far as rent homeless, we don't have a place to rent anymore. There's going to be that day. So in that moment, we've got one of two options. Either we just shut down the corporate component and have no place to do this corporately thing, like this gathering on Sunday morning. We we don't have that. And we do a complete house thing. So we're in your house. We're in my house. We're we're broken out into purely like a cell-based thing. We're, we're, We're that way. Or we have a place to move into to leverage our Sunday morning gatherings. So we've got to make a decision. Which one of those is better on a missional level to reach our area? Okay, now I'm going to say this. This is, my, this is my bent on it. I think a building works better than not having one, personally. And so um, in light of that, it means that we've got to start taking some sort of steps and planning toward what does it look like for us to have a home when we are kicked out of our current home, right? And so that's where we are. So in that way, I want you to see this is a part mission for us. If this had no missional purpose, if we thought we could do better without it or as good without it, we would not do it. Right. And so I want you to see this under the context of mission. OK, now from there, I, w- I want to walk you through kind of where we are in this whole thing and all of that. So this is the journey we've been on really for the last two and a half years. Once we started Stonegate, our posture toward God has been this. God, we are going to be very proactive in the way we save and the way we think about and the way we plan for what we know is inevitable in Midlothian. In light of we can't rent forever and in light of there's no existing facilities that will work for us. We've got to start planning toward this. So we want to be very proactive in the way we save for this and the way we plan for this. And our posture to you, God, is going to be when you bring something along that is workable, that's a good thing for us, then we'll be, we'll, we're going to do everything we can to be ready for that. And so um, over the last two and a half years, we feel like we probably had seven or eight pieces of property that have come in and out um, that we've done some homework on, that we've kind of taken steps toward, that we've even made offers on to try to get a pulse for what it is that we're dealing with in that piece of property. And every one of those, we've come up with roadblocks until about a month ago. About a month ago, um, our team has been kind of on this, very proactive in it. 
um, found a piece of property that uh, they felt like would work great for us. Um, they brought it to, to my attention and kind of the group of guys that are kind of around that table at our church brought it to their attention. Every one of those guys are in on it. They like it, feel like it's a good deal. So we started taking steps toward it. Um, trying to figure out, is this a feasible thing? Trying to do just some initial due diligence, looking it over. Um, and then we finally had Dave Hansen, uh, who's kind of been the point guy on that, sit down with the, with the owner of that piece of property and kind of have the conversation of, where are we in this? And so um, they had lunch. This has been about a month ago. And uh, the lunch went like this. Um, owner, I should not be sitting around this table even having this conversation with y'all. I don't know why. I don't know why I'm doing this. It makes no sense business-wise for us to do this. And uh, then Dave looking at him and saying, well, so where are you on it? And him saying, uh, well, we... Uh, my wife and I prayed about this and we feel like the number is $800,000 for this piece of property. And that just happened to be our number for that piece of property. And, uh, and so when, and when we're thinking that number, it is a complete low end offer for what we're getting. Um, so it's, he, he is right in the sense that he could, if he just, uh, he, he could get way more than he, he's getting from us for it. That's for sure. On a business level, he had no business being around the table with us. And so that's where we find ourselves. We're, we're down that road. We've got a hard piece of property. We've got a hard number that we're dealing with, $800,000 to pay for that piece of property. Um, and that's where we find ourselves. So that, that gets us to this morning. We, we have started a process of doing due diligence. We've got essentially from right now about a three-month period to do all of our due diligence to figure out if this is a workable thing, a good thing for us. So that's feasibility studies. That is working it through the city to make sure this is a doable thing there. It's all of that stuff that would, would kind of lean into, is this a workable place to us, or uh, a piece of property for us? Um, and so in light of that, here's what I want to say really clearly, really clearly, is that um, we have a hard piece of property, we have a hard number, but we have not made a hard decision. That's why we're here tonight. We want to invite you in to that process, to start praying over this, and to start soaking this thing, and just bathing this thing in prayer. Okay, so in light of that, I asked Sean to come up, and he's going to do just a quick um, view of this actual piece of property. We've got a couple of slides of it, just to show you where it is, all of that stuff. And so um, this is Sean Jackson. Okay, so Sean has been one of the guys that has been an instrumental part in just this process of helping us find it and kind of walking this thing out. And by the way, I, this is, I, I'm called the pastor. I'm not called to buy property. I'm not called to do any of that stuff. And so it's really important for me to have guys that are way better and more gifted and have much more experience in all this than I do. And Sean's one of those guys at our church that has experience in this stuff that um, is kind of around that table. So in light of that, Sean, why don't you walk them through right. this particular piece of property? Is this going? Yeah. All right. Well, first off, I want to say one thing is that he didn't mention that kind of how this land did come about is that uh, the owner had a friend of his that called him. He was a broker. So he just said, hey, can I put a sign up on your property? Because there's a lot of stuff going around this area so that I can get some business. So the uh, so he did. And I think it was like a week later, he has a contract from us or an offer for him. And that's where kind of that whole thing is saying that why am I even sitting here? Because he said, we've had offers from some uh, two different developers for the property and he was just not ready to sell. So it was just kind of crazy how that just kind of popped up. And originally two years ago, we looked all around this area and the land was just too, it was too high. So we looked at a lot of other different, different Anywhere areas. between like two times what we're paying for it to three times to what we paid 
for it. Yeah, so it's kind of crazy how all that just just came into, just I mean, it really just got into our laps here. As you can see, the gray up here is 14th and George Hopper. Um, we basically just had church, what was that, three weeks ago or so at Frank Seal. Um, who knows where that property is? I mean, it's very clear where yeah. that, all right. That is right across from Midtown, um, where you see the 500 homes. That's kind of Midtown, an area. That's where all that's going to be coming down. And um, I think in about two years, they're planning the HEB. Um, once they get, I think, 14th, they're going to get another lane across 287. And when that happens, HEB will be coming in. Um, also, you can also see right here. Back one more. This uh, 14th and Frank Seal, which I just showed you as well, is that. I mean, these are major roads, um, the four-lane roads on both sides, um, and 12 acres just sitting right there. In a, I mean, really, if you just kind of would even zoom it out even more, that's the heart of Midlothian, where everything's happening, um, especially right now. So um, not only do you get the four-lane roads, you get uh, just an influx of people that come by this property from the schools. I mean, so anybody that has kids in this area... I mean, we're just going to be rolling people through in this, and they're going to be going 20 miles an hour. So, and they're going to have to stop right there. So, some will. Some, yeah. Well, yeah. Most will be able to do that. Others, you know. So, obviously, we've got the high school. Um, really, the property is, I mean, I don't see how you can really handpick it, which I don't think we did. I think God kind of placed it right here. Um, we can go to the go to the other slide here. This uh, this little piece over here is Silken Crossing. Um, that's where this road kind of dies into this property right now. Um, again, there's and there's water, there's sewer, there's everything all around this property. Um, eventually, what would happen is is and the track what we offered was was actually this whole piece above this as well. It was actually sixteen, roughly sixteen acres. Um, the owner wants to keep. A few acres, and that's when he came back and said 12 acres, and we're okay. Um, it works out good. So that at one time, this, uh, so we'll have a road that goes through the back that kind of goes in there. So the ingress and egress is crazy good for the piece of property. Um, there's actually a house that's there now that um, the landscaping, they kind of have an office down there. Um, that would be a real easy house to um, move the offices to. Um, it's already gotten 15, what do you put in it? $15,000 already in it. It's got all new sheetrock. Flooring's already been done. Not saying that it's a Taj Mahal at all. Um, <laughs> it still has a lot of work to do, but it's a great, um, you know, get Rodney in out of a 12 by 12 room. <laughs> y'all should see our office. It's really, it's y'all, so y'all just need to go by there and see that. It's so, so ghetto and we love it's, it. It's great. <laughs> so, um, and we have already uh, had a kind of like a preliminary meeting with the city just to kind of say, hey, what do you guys think about this as a church? And really kind of not knowing because seeing all this development going around as a city, they normally would go, OK, I mean, this is zone residential. The guys already had guys coming to them that want to build on that property. Um, some of we could even turn in the hard corner. We even told them that eventually if we wanted to put something like a Starbucks or something like that way down the road. I'm not saying that we would. That's just a, another opportunity that it has there. Um, and with the road coming back, we can obviously we could sell a little bit because the piece of property is perfect size um, really for growth. 
and for the for the needs of the church. Uh, we really wouldn't have to move again. But the, uh, long story short, the city manager, um, he was excited about it. Uh, we weren't expecting that. So, I mean, he was just more so his words were, um, man, I, we're we're just excited that a new church, that a church plant that's come into our uh, city is not going on the outskirts of the city. You guys are putting it right in the middle of the city. Um, I can say this because for first, I'm not saying anything bad here, but first Baptist, you know, first Baptist, not in Midlothian in general, any first Baptist, you go to a city, they have the best spot in Midlothian. They just always do until now. If this one is in here, this is crazy. This is crazy. So, I mean, they're all pumped about having that church right on the corner, um, you know, and, you know, and here we are kind of telling them, hey, we can get a little bit of commercial in here. And their pushback is, I don't know if you want to put, I don't know. We want the church to get up closer to that corner. So when you drive, we want a church there. It's like, I don't know where this is coming from. So um, I think that's yeah. pretty much it. Everything yeah. uh, as far as the piece of land and kind of how it came. Yep. There you go. And so um, now, and a lot of that, get ready for a couple of questions at the end. We'll loop around and give you some time for that. But here's probably the number one question you're thinking right now is how in the world are we going to pay for that? And so I want to go ahead and address this with you on how we're going to pay for it. And this is where you can take a deep breath and just get ready to breathe in a lot of grace from God right here, right? And so I, I want to walk you through just where we've been over the last two and a half years. In the next slide, I think we'll, we'll do that. But roughly in the bank, we have $1.35 million and 0.35, which is 350,000 of that, is earmarked for church planting that we want to be investing into church planting. So we have a million dollars that we have been saving for the purpose of being able to pay cash for a piece of property. And so what I'm telling you is, and this is why you get to breathe easy. We get to pay cash for a piece of property. We're, yeah. And so, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I, like, I, I hope you just get to breathe that in for a second, right? That that's a lot of grace from God over a two and a half year period to be in the position to where, um, where we can do that. And so, uh, yeah, it makes me sleep a lot easier too when I think about all this, that's for sure. Okay, so now I want to try to answer uh, five or six questions that deal with this whole thing. And we've got a group of guys that are kind of around that table that all have some good experience in, in this world and that are just trusted guys. Casey's got to get his kids under control. I mean, seriously. <laughs> I'm so glad it wasn't mine. And so... Um, Okay, so, so let me try to answer uh, five or six questions that kind of rotate around this. Number one, why wouldn't we just stay in the conference center? Answer is, there's going to be a day where we can't stay in the conference center. But there's an end date to that. They're not going to let us stay there forever. They don't want a church in here forever. Okay, so that's number one. That's the answer to that. Number two, is the land big enough for our long-term needs? So we've got 12 acres in this piece of property. Is it big enough for our long-term needs? Now, a lot of books, if you just go church books when it comes to land and all that, they would say that the ratio is one acre per 100 people is about what you could expect land as far as how to measure its potential. And, uh, okay, now that is based off of a church that does, um, um, its model is more of a Sunday school driven model. So here's how that affects fa uh, facilities and land and all that. If we were to do Sunday school here, this is what it would mean. At nine o'clock, everyone in our church would come to Stonegate. And at 12, everyone in our church would leave. But because we do um, home groups, here's the model, or here's how it works out. Half of our church comes at nine, leaves. 
half of our church comes at 11 and leaves. So in light of that, you need about half the building and about half the parking than if you did a traditional sort of a way of, of doing church, like with the Sunday school driven thing where we're all up here at the same time. And so um, we're really big believers in home groups really working. That's why we do it first. But secondly, it's got huge implications for what sort of buildings, the cost of buildings, the all of that parking, um, all of that that's at stake on the other end of that. Huge implications. And so we feel like that with 12 acres, we have more than enough room to get as big as God would want us it's in his hands. However hard he wants to blow into us, we feel like the potential is there to use this to that end. And so, um, yeah. Okay, so that's that answer. Number three, can we sell off any excess property? Sean was kind of mentioning this, that uh, the answer is possibly. We're hoping so. Um, we would love to maybe at some point sell off the corner of that or maybe some of that um, land, the frontage off of 14th um, that kind of runs back to the north. Um, we hope that we'll be able to, and that would help kind of spur in to kind of the next step. Um, along the way. So we hope that that's an option. Um, We're praying that that would be um, some potential for us. And this is what I was saying before Casey's kid interrupted, by the way. Um, We've got, we've got a group of guys that have all been around that table that, that we trust one on a spiritual level. And we trust many of these guys have great experience just in the world of um, land, building, just that whole thing that I don't have. And I want to make sure they have ample room here to speak into this if I am not saying all that I need to say. So if you're on that, that crew, those eight guys, would you stand up in the room if you're on that? So that's Mike and Sean and Mary and I saw. Brian is here. I know Dave is out. Uh, Ryan. Who else we missing? We good? Okay, so the other guys. So just, just a few of the guys. So y'all feel free if I'm missing something along the way to, to speak into this. Um, but can we sell off excess property? We're hoping so. Um, I think it, it could have the potential to almost pay for the property at some point down the road. So we'll see how that works out. Um, we're hoping in the providence of God that that, that will. Number four, um, when will we start building? Um, answer that question in a while. So we've got four and a half years left on our contract here. And uh, now we're in a situation, this is the rough part. They could say on any one year period that you've got one year left. So we've got it worked out to where hopefully we've got four years left in here. And we feel like it's probably going to take us four and a half years to get ready to build financially. Um, so part of that is just going to be under the providence of God, how finances work here. And um, if, if we have abundant provision, that, that would kind of back, you know, obviously kind of speed that up. Um, but we're thinking it's probably going to take us four and a half years to do as much saving as possible. So when we make that move, we're going with as much cash as possible um, into that. So when we start building probably four and a half years from now, how much will a building cost? Um, we would estimate that the building is going to cost somewhere in the neighborhood of $5 million, about equal to our church planting piece of that on the other side. And so I'm somewhere in that range. And here's what I'm praying. And I would invite you to pray this with me is that when we move in four and a half years, that we would be able to pay cash as we move in. And I actually think that us paying cash for it is the secret sauce for us to be able to do the other things that we would like to do as well. Um, so if you can just imagine, um, a church I know, um, a church that by the time we move, probably it will be a similar size. That their building that they had, well, I'll just use these parameters. It would be normal or somewhat normal for churches in that sort of a size, probably by the time that we move, to be anywhere between 30000 we'll use 25000 for the low range, $25,000 to $85,000 in a mortgage payment. That, that, could, that would be the parameter of what is out there. And that's, that's a lot. And now think about if you weren't paying interest on any of that and you're actually using that to invest 
strictly into church planting and orphan care and adoption, right? And so it just frees up everything. If we can make a huge cash move, it frees up everything at that point to really be able to leverage huge amounts of resources for that end. And so I, I'd invite you to be praying that with me, um, that, that we would see God do that for us. And that's going to require out of every one of us to be really sacrificial. So we're all going to have to get before God and say, if this is what you're calling us to, what does that look like for my family and us to be a part of that, right? And so that's going to mean something for all of us to be able to make a cash move into that. Okay, uh, number six. Um, what do the next several months look like in relationship to the lands? So I just want to walk us through what, what we're doing for the next three or four months as it relates to this. Um, in April, we're just designated this as an informational educational month for you to be able to start praying over this. We'd invite you to go out to the property, pray over the property. You can go, um, there's a little wide house up there. You can pull up as long as there's not like 30 of you at one time. You can pull up, feel free to jump out there. You can walk across the land. You can pray over it, whatever you want to do. And so we'd invite you to spend some time out there. Uh, maybe you take your home group out, whatever you want to do. But we'd invite you to pray over that and to really bathe this in prayer. We are to the point now where we're not, we haven't made a hard decision. We can pull out over any time over the next three months for $100. So no hard decision has been made. We feel like this is a good thing. Um, we feel like that God has led us to this point. And so, um, so we're curious to see if God confirms at the end of this that this is the way we're supposed to go. And so we want you to be a part of affirming that as well, though. So we invite you to pray over it, to soak this thing and just bathe it in good prayer. And so that's April is, is on that level. We're inviting you to pray, have conversations with us all of that. The guys I'm about to put on the screen for you, you can look any one of these guys up, take them out to lunch, run through the questions with them, any one of them, and have this conversation about how we're thinking about it, whatever you want to ask. If you've got concerns, if you've got whatever, for you to be able to express those. So that's April. And uh, if April goes well, at the end of April, we'll, we'll kind of shove our chips in, assuming that the feasibility study goes well, all of that, we'll, we'll kind of move our chips in. And then we're going to use May, June, and July. And this is what I'm actually praying for those three months. Here's what we're going to, here's how I'm going to present this, that we're going to ask you for those three months to ask the question, what would it look like for, for my family to be very generous and sacrificial in the way that we're giving for those three months? What does it look like for those three? And I'm praying that God would, uh, in his grace, replenish the money that we're about to spend on the land so we can start kind of progressing to the next step in all this. And so I'm praying that over those three months that God's going to do a real miracle in our midst and he's going to replenish what we've just spent in this. And so, but at the end of the day, I'm good with saying this. I want, we're going to ask everyone in our church to get before their finances and say, what does it look like for these three months? We're not three years. We're not 10 years. We're three months saying, what does it look like for me to be over the top generous? And so if everyone in our church for three months did a tithe times two, um, we would recap about 300,000 of that with just a tithe time too with everyone in our church. And so we're just going to ask you this though. You get before your finances and say, what does it look like for me to be sacrificial? At the end of the day, it's not the amount that matters. You remember the widow's mite? It was what was left that matters. It was the sacrifice and the pinch that mattered. And so we're going to ask all of us to share a pinch for three months. And whatever that pinch looks like, I'm good with it. But for you to get before God and ask that question for three months. And so we're praying that God would do something really miraculous with that and that we would have that recouped and ready to go kind of on down this, the road for the next step. And so in, uh, at the end of May, or at, I'm sorry, at the end of, uh, either at the beginning or the end of July is when we'll actually pay cash for it, assuming all this goes well to then, um, is when we'd actually go hard with the money, the, the, our money's their money, and we're on down the road. And uh, now I want to I wanna just say this, because I, I feel like this is actually a really big deal, is, and I hope you trust me in this, um, I don't know if you will or not, so <laughs> we'll see. Um, Six months ago, 
I had decided that after we finish first Peter, we are going to do a series on money and possessions. And I would say, if you'd asked me six months ago, I would never do that in the midst of saying for three months, we want you to get before your finances. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. I would say that's a great way to sabotage actually what you're trying to teach. And so, uh, under the providence of God, six months ago, that was decided. And a month ago, we find ourselves here. We're in the midst of us doing this series. We are landing in the midst of that three month kind of thing. And so um, I've really debated on, man, should I just pull out of that? What should I do? And I feel like God is just confirming that, you know, I think you need to teach that. And so um, where I am on that is just saying this. I think for whatever reason, God's going to put us in a season where he's going to ask you um, to get your heart just filleted open as it relates to greed and generosity and to allow the gospel to really get into that. And I'm just going to reaffirm this to you. I'm not interested in your money. I'm interested in your heart. Um, I'm a pastor. That's what I am, right? And so I'm interested in making sure God has the gospel work deeply into your heart where generosity is a natural thing for you. Okay. So, um, yeah, under the providence of God, that's, uh, man, I feel like that's a big deal. And I don't know how to say that without feeling like I'm, yeah. Okay. So that's how it happened though. Promise. That's how it went down. Okay. And then, like I say, in Ju- July or maybe early August, we'll pay cash. And then our hope is to, to go ahead and kind of get the built that little white house you'll see on this property livable. Um, it, well, it's not up there, but uh, the little white house there and uh, where we can actually move our offices in there, have a couple of rooms for counseling, all that stuff, which we don't have right now. And so um, that would be our hope. Okay. And last question for you. And I just want to reiterate this and then we're going to take a few questions and then have to get. Um, how are decisions made at Stonegate? So I just want to make sure you see the big picture of how decisions are made. Because we talk all the time about making decisions in community. It's a big deal for us. Really, really big deal. And so in light of that, I just want to reiterate this. That number one, we have a group of men that are around that table that are, are good in this area. And so I've got some names up there. Um, those are eight of them that have been around this, this thing as far as helping shepherd this building and location thing from the get-go. And by the way, for this month, feel free to get any one of those for coffee, dinner, lunch, Whatever it takes, if you want time with them to get around them to ask questions about this, feel free to do that. Okay, so we've got a group of men who, who help make that decision, right? So I don't know land and building, and that's not my expertise. That's their expertise. So I, I trust them more than I trust me in that. So we've got a group of men that help in that. Um, secondly, we want to present these things to you. So you've got a month to raise concerns, to affirm, to help raise concerns. for whatever. You've got a month to help educate us on how you feel about all this. And so um, we want to present this for, for prayer and for, for you to have a solid option to be praying over. Thirdly, um, our external board that functions like elders for us right now until we have our own elders can approve, reject, or revise it. We've kept them in the loop on all this and they like the direction of this thus far. And so, but at the end of the day, before we approve anything here, it would go to them. And then lastly, it's going to require all of us a lot of faith to kind of follow where we feel like God is leading our church family. And so that's how decisions are made. So I just want you to see, this isn't a me thing. This isn't a one person thing. This is a communal thing. We make group decisions. Even before we have elders, it's a communal decisions. All these things. I don't have an, I I am not the king on any, if if you sit around the table as we do kind of that meeting with those eight guys and they're speaking into this, you'll know that I take the back seat because I don't, they know more than I know. They do. And so I'm, I'm good with saying, you know, more than I know. And I trust you to help make a good decision on location, price, all those things. Okay. So with that said, um, we've got, I'm going to give us about 10, maybe 15 minutes if we press it. We've got to be out of here by like 815 and then actually like out of here so they can start setting up. And so um, but questions, 
And I'm going to let Mike, any of these guys that wants to speak into that, feel free. And Kevin and some of these guys will probably throw a microphone around. Sean, if you want to give that one to Kevin. Questions? As it relates to really any of those. Land specifically, but any of these in general. We always have a competition. And so hopefully my side will win. (laughs) Just letting you know that. No pressure. Really no pressure. Any questions? And, and by the way, we're church families. So you don't have to feel bashful about asking. So, yeah. Yes, sir. We're going to record you. Oh, we're 1-0 over here right now, by the way. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, one of the things I would say that we as a church need to definitely do is um, the, the, uh, the devil has a way of taking things and grabbing a foothold and kind of shaking things. This gentleman who owns this property right now, uh, frankly, he's pretty young. Yeah. And, and money can influence people at any age, but especially kind of where this guy is. And frankly, I think he's seen through that and seeing God's face right now versus a dollar figure. But I can tell you that <laughs> that can change like that. Okay, So I would say as a church family, not just from a money standpoint, that we should pray for this man and his family. And, and honestly... I would not be afraid one bit for y'all to go by and visit this man and shake his hand and say thank you for what, you know, the commitment he's made to us as a church. Because yeah. I'll be honest with you, I want to tear up about it because it's, it's unreal. Yeah, for sure. And, um, yeah, 28? Yeah, 30. Yeah, 30 years old. Mm-hmm. So, you know, somebody walks in there with a twice the offer, don't think that won't get a guy's attention. Yeah. And um, so I promise you the devil doesn't want this to happen. Yeah. And so I would say praying for him as a church is an important thing. And I would definitely say going over and shaking that man's hand, letting him know how much we appreciate him even considering this, whether or not we do it or not, is worthwhile. Yeah. And Rodney can tell you who he is. I, I don't, I'm not at liberty to do that. But. Yeah, I, I don't know if I'm at liberty to do that either. Am I at liberty to do that? Sean gave me that look, so I don't know what that means. Sean said he's really into landscaping. So if you drive down Main Street, you might see something over there with landscaping. I don't know. So. Jenny is right. Oh, okay. Josh Elson over here, and then Jenny will come over here. So are we not under a contract right now that $100 is not earnest, I'm assuming, then? Uh, that would essentially be the earnest money in it. So we are in a contract. where We've got it locked in, $800,000. We've got a hard number to deal with. But it would cost us $100 to back out. So if we feel like for any reason God is shutting the door on it, or if we find something in the feasibility that, that is a no-go, um, it's $100 for us to back out of it. So, so the, the guy that currently owns it, he's locked into the contract in, at least for the next three months. Is, is that how I understand it? Correct, Sean said. Okay. Yep. Great. Miss Jenny. Um, this is way down the road, but when the building is built mm-hmm. and in light of being missional in our community, mm-hmm. would it be available during the week for, um, would we be letting other people use it or is it just going to be used just for, for our church? Sure. Yeah, we would want to be as generous as possible. And so building something that could be used for um, multiple purposes would be a high priority for us. No doubt. Yeah. It doesn't make sense to build one building to use on Sunday, right? And so as much as we can make that a useful thing for our community, the better off we feel like it would be. 
for sure. And, and, and where it is, we feel like it could really be used for a lot of things. It's right by the high school, a, a junior high, and so anything we could do to help on that level. And, and by the way, a complimentary kind of thing that we're to tonight, last February, we tried to present a, a philosophy of buildings, of debt, of all of those things. And so if you've got questions on that level, that talk last February, family meeting, you can find it online. Um, all that stuff is there that would do a great job of walking you through just a, a, a philosophy of what we're thinking when it comes to buildings, all of those that, all of those things. It would kind of give you a, the snapshot of that. So, um, you've done a really good job explaining everything. My only question is: um, Have we explored or communicated with any builders? And if so, how do you know this that it's going to cost about five million? Yep. And so, uh, okay, so first answer to that is no, we have not yet. So we're not to that level of chatting with a builder yet. And so um, how we know that is we've got a lot of churches kind of in our network, and you can, you can estimate it almost very closely by your square footage and what it costs per square foot. And so we know generally about the size of building we want to build, and we know what that would imply as far as cost. So, we, I mean, we've probably got it within... I mean, if we wanted to get really detailed with it, like we could take plans right now and build this and we know exactly what it costs. But I think a rough estimate for about $5 million would, would be about correct. So we're, we're looking, when it's probably said and done, at probably something about like a 40,000 square foot building, which would be about this size, but the spacing actually, space to actually work well for you, not like this one. And so we're super gracious for this. It's just not, it's not built to maximize usage for a church, Right. And so there's a lot of stuff that in here would be excess space for us that we wouldn't need in that room or this room or whatever. And so um, it'd be roughly the same size, but really space to take full advantage of it. And so we know what that would cost per square foot. This is uh, four. Yeah, just so you know. <laughs> Seven, you're getting whipped. If, if, say God does something awesome and shows up, are we locked into being here four years? I mean, if in two and a half years something awesome happens and we yep. can move out, would we? Uh, we're not locked in. We've got the same out clause of one year, which is kind of scary. I feel like I'm on a one-year contract every year. Um, but we're, we're on like, I guess there's like a mutual agreement that hopefully we're in for four and a half or four of those or five of those. And so, uh, so yeah, I mean, I think if, if under the providence of God, God works something that would just be super favorable and provision just happened to where it was just there in front of us, we probably would We'd go earlier. So we'd have to really debate that though and figure out timing-wise what's the best thing for our church family. And so that would probably be another one of these. We need to start praying really hard in light of that and see where God leads us. This is two. That's four. <laughs> so somebody else. Yeah. But I wanted to just clarify what the answer for Josh yep. about the earnest money. Okay. Oh, what's that? Oh, it's not a question. Gosh, Lee. Okay. <laughs> All right. How many parking spaces does yeah. the church need? <laughs> That's right. There you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to say roughly 350 to 400, but here's the great thing. We've got Frank still right across the part of the way that is going to be great for us. Hopefully we can contract with them that we can build just what we need. Any special days, we've got several million dollars worth of money spent on their parking lot, not ours. So it works out great for everyone. Thank you for that. Thank <laughs> yeah. you. Two. 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 Yeah. Um, he asked about the earnest money. The earnest, the correct, it's, it's a $10,000 earnest money. The $100 is just a penalty. At the end of the, six, at the end of the 90 days, $10,000 goes hard. Yeah. And if we walk out of that, then it's just $100. So the earnest money it's, on the yeah. property is $10,000. But yes, we can get out of it 400 
No. Oh, <laughs> that was a question. That's right. <laughs> I just want to clarify. Can he get out within the next 90 days? That is so a Sean question. It's not even funny. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. So he's locked in for 90 days. Okay, any others? Chris, were you going to ask one? Yeah, it, you look like you were almost, like you made the quick, yeah. It's like, don't put your hand up right now. That'd be the, yeah. Yes, ma'am. That's right. <laughs> Do we have any plans for any church fans in the church fans? future, near future? Yeah. Um, I, I, it's, it's interesting. It's been brought up several times here lately. Um, I would say, if you ask me right now, has that been like a serious on-the-table discussion? No. Um, but, like, I, I think that we've all seen a need for that periodically and that we spend quite a bit of money renting them. And so maybe that could be a conversation we could have at some point down the road. Yeah. And I know just in what y'all have going, that would be a really useful thing for y'all. Yeah. Brian Abbott. Uh-oh. The other side just came back. We can. I, we kind of have an understanding of where we're engaged actively in the church planning, and now up, we're up to speed on this. I would like a little bit more details as to the next steps for this adoption. I mean, yeah. it seems a little like, okay, well, yeah. how do we take the next step in that? Yeah, okay, so I, I failed to mention this earlier. KC Maddox is the point guy on this. And we hope to next fall have a, have a great plan for that 10 years lined out. I was a little bit hesitant to go very deep into that today because it's, a lot of stuff is still soft. We're still in the process of figuring out what is the next step and how does all that fit together between fostering, adoption, all of those different things. And so um, if we had a goal, I think we would say next fall is our shot of trying to get all of that information out and what we would call a great plan for the next 10 years that we think we can follow. And so uh, uh, we've got a few things happening before that. Like this summer, it looks like we're going to take a trip to Matamoros. And so if you're a family and want, want to go down, um, you'd be more than welcome. It looks like that's going to be at the end of July. Um, and so we'll try to get information out on that. And we'll publicize and do a couple of video things with Matamoros as we do that, um, the children's home there. And so, and then Compassion, we're going to do that next fall. Um, we're in the process right now of locating this specific church and project that has church planting and involved with compassion, both of those things being combined. And so hopefully this summer we'll figure that out. And what's that? Yes, they're, they're at work trying to identify that. And so, uh, so it's probably vague on purpose because we're still in the midst of working that out. And by the way, if you're a person that says, I really want to give life to that, like I want to jump into that and I feel like that's right up my alley. I'm passionate about it. have a deep interest in it. Then I'd encourage you to get with KC. He'd love to, to chat with you about where you might could fit into that. So if that's, if you've got a deep burden for that, we'd love it. Yes, sir. Sean, Sean, is there any ag rollback liability exists right now? No. No? No. Nothing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Steve, why don't you explain what you were trying to ask there and what the implications of that question would be? Well, you, uh, you can get a, a tax deferment called ag, uh, it's ag exemption, where you pay on the production value of the property. 
uh, most of this farmland that you see out here that's worth, you know, $30,000 an acre, $40,000 an acre, they're only paying on maybe $200 an acre. And um, so whenever you sell the property and you change the use and you put infrastructure in, and uh, it used to be when you change ownership, but now it's when you change the use, you have to pay the difference uh, on the tax. And then you also <clears throat> have to pay pay the difference on the tax. So say if you're assessed at uh, $200 an acre, but it's worth $30,000 an acre, you have to pay the tax on the $28,000 per acre. Plus you pay interest all the way up to 40% interest for seven years. So you can have a, a really good deal, but have a half a million dollars in back taxes. That has to be paid because taxes follow the property, not the owner. Yeah. And it's it's made a lot of a lot of deals go sideways yeah. and create a lot of havoc for people because they don't know about it. And then you close it and you you change the use and you have a five hundred thousand dollar tax bill yeah. staring you in the face. And we don't want that, by the way. We don't want that. Uh, you know, yeah, Sean, you want to, yeah, he's asking exemption stuff for 5013Cs. Yeah, actually, if, if we can uh, perform some religious functions out there, uh, Which we can. Which is my understanding that us having an office out there makes it exempt for Right, it, so we, 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 can, we can apply for the portion that we're using, but it, it would make sense for us to put a pavilion up and maybe have yeah. some youth things out there. Uh, a, a day camp or something and try to get the whole camp thing out on the 12 acres. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> but I would, I would certainly deploy as much space as you could to get it yeah. exempted. Yeah. Okay. Chad Brooks. Um, I don't want to shift gears and take away from what we're talking about, but on, in regards to church planning, yes, sir. Uh, that's 350,000 that's uh -huh. earmarked. Is that, well, I've actually got two parts of the question here. You you re you've referenced um, like Casey being yeah. raised up out of uh -huh. Stonegate, and like Mercy Church and mm -hmm. Paradox as uh, and you refer to those as like one being kind of a more shallow investment yeah. and then one being a more deep investment there. Mm -hmm. Can you clarify what your terminology between shallow and deep is there? And then also yeah. is the three hundred fifty thousand being allocated right now, or is that just kind of a pool set apart right now? Great question. Okay, shallow and deep. Shallow is they're running parallel to Stonegate. We love them. We'd support them. They've been through an Acts 29 assessment. We would affirm them planning a church, but they don't have personal tie-ins to you here. So they're going to be a person that, that you would see up on the stage, and just like the three churches we've been a part of, you would never know their name. And so that's shallow. Deep is they've spent time here. You know them here. You have personal investment there. They have personal investment in you, much like KC would, that we would say for them, okay, it, and so that would be deep. Okay, that's that side of it. And we're saying most of that money that we have earmarked is going towards depth of investment. Everything else we would say is just in a normal year's flow out of budget and everything we can do to shove money that way in just a normal year of things. And so we're trying to earmark that for people that come in, have personal investment with us that we can send out. Um, with anywhere between $100,000 and $150,000 to help with startup costs, a salary for year one, maybe a half a salary for a, a kind of a number two guy or however they see fit there. So, yeah. And, and God's just been really crazy in the way he, he has stirred up a few people that really have wanted to give generously to that, that uh, it's been really phenomenal just to see that whole thing take shape. And part of, 
planning 50 churches is us as a network, Acts 29 network in the DFW area. There's about 10 churches now that are in the network here. Um, that's a pooling from all of those churches to get the guys equipped, get them trained, get them resourced, and get them sent out. And so that's going to be a group effort between the nine or 10 churches kind of in our area to all see that happen. So, yeah. Okay. Yes, Brian. Yes. Yeah. Um, I feel, yeah, yes, it would be. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Going once. So, okay, I'll, I'll leave you with this. Um, I, I would give it any time, anything tonight to have some time to be able to just pray together as a church family, but they are literally about to come in and kick us out. And so, um, so I want to leave you with a couple of things. One is that we have Easter coming up this week. And for missional leverage in our culture, it is the, it is the biggest no-brainer of the year. And so your neighbors need to be invited. Like, if you haven't invited, they really need to be invited. And so for, for you just to leverage that moment, it's going to be a very evangelistic message. We're going to do the, the two thieves on the cross and kind of walk through that whole thing. And so I'd encourage you to make sure that you're thinking really hard about Sunday and leveraging that for the good of your neighborhood and, and friendships. Secondly, it's to make sure that you are really praying over this. I have deep, deep concerns when I think about us buying land or building anything. Deep concerns. I think it provides a unique opportunity for Satan to do a lot of damage in our church family that we really need to be proactive now in praying for. I don't want us to be a place that is building a church. I want to, or building a building. I want us to be a place that is living on mission in deep community, soaked with the gospel that happens to have this as one thing that's happening for this season of their life. But that whole thing can get rearranged in a hurry for us. And so I think for all of us, we need to be very proactive in the way that we're praying. And then secondly, or thirdly, for you to go out and be praying over that land, um, go walk over it. And um, yeah, so we'd invite you to do that, to make sure you're having conversations with those guys on that board that are around that table. And if you've got questions about it, want to get clarity on it, raise any concerns with it for you to feel a real freedom to do that. That's why we're presenting it to you a month out so you can have time to do that. And so, and then we invite you just to be praying for our church family. This is just one of a million strategic decisions that really determine a lot of the trajectory of our church. And so we want to walk in wisdom and good community. We want to make the best decisions for our church family for the long haul. And so um, for you to be praying kind of to that end. Fair enough. Can I pray over us? And then, then, then literally we have to like, <laughs> I hate to like shovel you out, but God, we love you. And God, I, I am just blown away at just even having conversations like this. Um, I think about just where I was personally three years ago and what you have done in the life of my family and now my church family. And uh, God, I just want to tell you that I'm, I'm grateful, that I'm thankful, that I'm humbled, that I'm encouraged, that I just, I just feel so blessed by you. And God, I pray that you might, you might give all of us a sense of that, that you've done some really unique things around us, some extraordinary things around our church that we have great reason to be humbled with, to be so thankful for. And so, God, I pray that you would make us a grateful place, a humble place. And God, I pray for Easter, um, just a few days away from now. Um, God, I pray that the resurrection would have the, the place of just prime real estate in our heart. God, that, uh, that the fact that you are alive, that that, that, would, that would be huge for us. That, that would spur on a life that does not make sense to anybody who doesn't believe that you're not alive. And so, God, will you, will you help us in that? 
God, I pray that we would become a gospel-saturated people that live this and breathe it, that see how the good news of all that Jesus has done for us relates to every area of our lives. So God, will you help us there? Will you help us in authenticity and just a freedom to be able to say, this is who I am. This is who I am. To not feel like you have to pretend to be somebody that you're not. And God, will you, will you help us be a people on your mission that are bringing life and renewal and redemption everywhere we go? And so, God, by your grace, I pray that you would do that. And God, I pray that as we take this journey toward the potential of land and all the implications of that down the road, God, that, um, that you would protect our church family, that, that you would protect unity here, that this wouldn't be a moment of division and of um, controversy, that, that when people have concerns, they can express those honestly. Um, for people to know that. that. That doesn't need to be a dividing thing. And so God, I pray that you'd help us, that you would keep us from the snares of the devil in the midst of this, and that you would keep our hearts tender and sensitive and pure before you. And so God, we pray um, all of that in your good name.